Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for coming. Uh, so welcome everyone to the Iliashi podcast where we meet interesting people and find out more about them. So Aaron, tell me about yourself. This is going to be like a job interview. <laughs> tell you about yourself. What do you want to know? Um, look, I am a male. 35 years of age now, born on the 4th of Jan, 1986. Grew up in a small town or small city, I like to call it, in Kampala, Uganda. Um, that's where I was born. That's not where I grew up. And what about, like, you know, you know your grandparents, okay. who were they? Mate, you, let me tell you something. Um, I don't know who my grandparents are on my father's side. That's actually a very interesting story. For some reason, my father has always kept me um, and the rest of the children away from his parents, saying that they're either toxic and, you know, uh, nothing good can come from that side. So I know very little about my father's side. My mother's side, however, um, my mom's dad was a man called Dr. Uh, Raki Hembo. Um, Dr. Raki Hembo was one of the first doctors in his in his town. He was from Fort Bodro. And um, he had he had a few wives from my understanding. And one of the wives was my mom. However, my mom, uh, sorry, my mom's mom. Um, but my mom's mom died at a young age and my mom never actually even grew up with her mom, if that makes sense. So I've never seen my grandmother on my, on my mother's side. And I only met my granddad once when I was in Uganda with my mom. That must have been in, oh, I can't even remember the year. Oh, 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 2002? Yeah, a long time ago. 2002, my first yeah, experience of Uganda. Yeah. So, don't know much about my grandparents, um, but I, I, what I do know in my life is that I was born in Uganda and I grew up in the UK. How old were you? When I left, I left Uganda when I was four years old. Yeah. I'm one of Remember three that. I don't remember leaving. Um, I don't. I don't remember much, in fact, of Africa. Um, I see photos of me um, at my parents' property, at their farm in Gaza, playing in dirt. You know, I hear stories that I used to speak my mother tongue fluently, but I don't remember any of that. I don't remember. I don't remember from one to four. In fact, I only remember from around. Now, my earliest memory is year three, primary school. Mm. Uh, in a class, I think Miss Miss Green was my my school teacher in Three Bridges First School. Yeah. yeah. I think I used to have the hots for Miss Green. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I remember. Miss <laughs> Green, if you're out there, let me Ms. know. Green, you, you need you to find an impact. Yeah, you find that mystery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, she so probably I, changed the name. So I guess maybe your, I think a body memory is that of living in the UK. You know, uh, 
as soon as it's like the UK is home, you know, for you, that's when you sort of start to become sentient. Yes, 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 yes. I, I think um, I think it's important for us to acknowledge where we are born, uh, where our background is, but most of my formative years have happened or have occurred in United Kingdom. That's right. In a small town called Crawley. I don't know if you know where that is. Um, Creepy Crawley is in between London and Brighton. People call it Creepy Crawley. I call it Crawley. Um, so, yeah, right next to Gatwick Airport. Tell me, like, some what interesting was... experiences in that town. Yeah, yeah, I want to hear about that. How was the childhood? Was it growing up in Crawley? Hey, childhood was tough, hey. Childhood was tough. So Crawley, Crawley fundamentally is a spill out of London. So um, you have a lot of people in Crawley who uh, maybe at some point in time lived in London but no longer lived there. Um, everyone's there predominantly looking for work or looking to work. If you don't work in London, you work um, in around Crawley or you have a job that's associated to the airport that's close to there, which is Gatwick Airport. So. If you're not in aviation or uh, airport related services, maybe pilot, uh, air stewardess, ETC, then you're commuting the 25, 30 to 50 minutes to London in order to provide for your family and um, yeah, provide for your family or yourself in other ways, shapes or form, depending on what kind of job you have. You're a young man, you're living in Crawley, going to school, same humdrum. How was your home life? How was um, your school life? How, you know, anything exciting happened there, you know, as you enter your teens? Nothing, like absolutely nothing exciting. No, um, look, Craw living in Crawley, growing up in Crawley was very challenging for me. And the reason I say that is because Being in a black family, coming from a black family, everyone around me was white. So my parents coming from Africa didn't trust white people. Hey, they had a disdain for white people. So my experience growing up was, yeah, all of my friends at school were white. Um, and most of them would come and knock on my door, you know, as kids do, innocent. Hey, is Aaron there? Uh, can I speak to Aaron? And my parents would sometimes, well, let me not say my parents, because my mom wasn't around. My dad would answer the door and say, yeah, sorry, he doesn't live here. <laughs> <laughs> and, at <t> <laughs> and at times, I, did, I, did, I couldn't believe it. I was like, why would you say such a thing? But he said it. And these are the same friends that would come the next day, let's say, before school as they're walking to school because my where where we lived was on the way to school for a lot of people and they'll knock on my house and I'll come out of the same door that yesterday when they knocked my father would say sorry he doesn't live here so it was turmoil in terms of um building friends building relationships when you had a parent who who distrusted everyone who was non-black um, and yet everyone around you was non-black so 
you couldn't live in that paradigm. It became very difficult to live in that paradigm. Yeah, but um, he never really gave us a reason. He never gave me, he, we never had a talk. He, he, he always complained about the way he had been treated by white people. And you know, we, we all know that uh, your experiences are unique. You shouldn't cast your experiences from one person against the whole race, you understand? Like if one Indian treats you badly, it doesn't mean all Indians are the same, right? But um, I don't think that's what happened in that case. I think maybe if he met a few lemons in terms of white people and then boom, everyone was cast with the same brush and it didn't matter if you were old or young or, you know, you're like, nah, not tolerating you, not having you around my kids, not doing, not even mixing with you. Ah, oh, man, it was hard, you know? We had neighbours, obviously, on both sides, left and right, um, but we never talked to our neighbours. And I used to wonder why. Why don't we talk to our neighbours? Why don't we, you know, why, why aren't we friendly with people? I remember the only people we were friendly with were the, the guys, the, the Indian guys who owned the corner shop down the road like the post office, Mr. Manga, Mr. Manga, I miss Mr. Manga, right? Rest in peace, Mr. Manga. But um, yeah, those are the only guys who used to have a laugh with. Everyone else is just an enemy, which is sad because that's not the way to go around life. And sometimes those, what you put out there comes true, you know? It's important for you to, to be positive. It's important for you to, um, speak life into people. It's important for you to believe, believe in better. Now, you've told me this about you becoming a teenager and um, that sort of causing a little bit of tension in the household. I want to hear about that because it's sort of like a, it's a story that many um, <laughs> black kids, you know, I've also been through that where you get to a certain age and now there's sort of like uh, a tension between, especially with, 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 with our fathers, you know, where, you know, you, you want to find your own way, but I think he still wants to keep control of you or wants to keep him straight and narrow. Um, I want to I hear about that. Oh, mate, that's a, that's a very long story. I don't think you have a long enough podcast in order to hear that story, but I can give you a summarized version. And the summarized version is this. Um, we, in my family, we, there's three of us siblings. I have a younger sister who is handicapped. Um, her name is Amy. And I have a, uh, a younger sister than her um, who is called Angela, and she's normal. The difference between Angela and Amy is Amy was born in Uganda, just like me, um, and Angela was born in the UK. Now, the age difference between us, there's a two-year gap between me and Amy, and then there's another two-year gap between Amy and Angela. So that puts, so that gives you a bit of context into the, uh, the sibling, the, the sibling, the sibling dynamics. Now, um, at home, growing up in Crawley, before we got, before we moved to Crawley, 
I need to give you some context because before we moved to Crawley, or before we moved to Crawley, my dad was a flight engineer, right? He used to fly everywhere, ATC, and my mom was a nurse. Um, and the reason we moved to Crawley was to save my little sister's life, Amy, right? Because she was born in Uganda, but she was born with complications. So the idea was to come to the UK, identify exactly what was wrong with Amy, get some solutions, some help, um, and then move forward with um, some rectification work or some, some sort of analysis of where Amy is and how she can become better. However, that we, we never actually moved back to Uganda. We ended up staying in the UK and obviously Angela was born. Now, uh, when I was 14 years of age and Angela being 10 years of age, she she decided one day to call Childline and say that our dad was physically abusing her. Now, remember she's 10 years old calling Childline. Dad's physically abusing her. What happens next? Police, social services come to the house and they pick up Amy and Angela. I wasn't at home. I don't know how I wasn't at home, but they pick up these two girls and they take them into care. From that moment on, I can't even remember what day it was, but from that moment on, my life was never the same. Like, it didn't matter what I was doing at uni. Oh, sorry, it didn't matter what I was doing at school. Like, it just didn't make sense anymore. My house went from a home to an empty house. I blamed my dad for those two people, those two, the closest two people in my life, my two siblings, for them being taken from my life. So you do what, you do what happens when you get hurt, hey? You find happiness or you find love where you're not supposed to look for love, you know. You're supposed to find love at home, but you end up, because you can't be in the same house as your dad and your mom doesn't live with you because she's in Uganda. Um, they were running a business. My dad was in the UK sending stuff. They were, they were running an import-export business. Dad in the UK sending stuff in Uganda, you know. She collects it from there, sells it on ETC. But that that basically, I didn't want I didn't want anything to do with my dad. If there was one person I wasn't going to listen to, was my father because I held him wholly responsible for the fact that my sisters were no longer around in my life. Right? As as a result, I chose I chose to spend time more time on the street, more time with my friends, more time doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, more time running around, you know running around parks, running around nightclubs, running around, you name it. I was supposed to be going to college. I don't even remember revising for my GCSEs. Forget about college. I don't remember revising for my GCSEs. I walked in for my GCSEs, which are like your form four exams. Walked in, I don't know what I wrote, and then walked out. Didn't get the greatest grade. Like, had a total, couldn't give a shit attitude. That was my attitude. I was like, what is the point? What is the meaning of life? Why, why should I even bother? You understand? 
So, yeah. So anyway, growing up, growing up in the UK was very difficult. Um, and it was not because of the UK in itself. It was more because of the family, uh, the family dynamics that I had in the UK. I reckon that shit, that stuff could have happened anywhere in the world. But I don't think it would have happened, let's say, in Uganda, because who are you going to call? You're not going to call no social services in Uganda and say, my dad's <laughs> beating me for yeah. shit that I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay, then so, they come and pick you up. They'll probably come and beat you more. Yeah, beat you more. Um, so this was abuse, like, in the context of sort of, I need to be very careful with my, my words here. But I, when, when I was a little kid, my dad caned me. Why did he cane me? It's because he told me that I shouldn't be playing with stones, right? And then lo and behold, you know, so I was busy throwing stones or playing, or playing this game called War, uh, where you get these um, rocks, but they're just, they're just soil. And so you throw them over. It was quite, quite a good game. So you're like inside a field of uh, base. And then your mace on the other side, and literally, it is like you are throwing, um, you know, missiles, and they just rain on you. And so I was with my little brother, <laughs> and then he got hit right here, and he got a big yeah. You see what I mean? But I, he was just unlucky because I think one of the soil rocks had some stones inside. Dad got really angry, you know, he grabbed me and everything. You know, my little brother cried, went and told what happened, he grabbed me. Everyone else was not touched, but, but he said the reason why he, he beat me was because he pulled me <laughs> stones, right? But like he didn't tell my other brother not to do that because I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm gonna be right. Like, I'm gonna get kids. I agree, right? I agree, but I cannot be the only one to do this. I need to explain that. So if I coach Hardline in that moment, right, they would take me away, isn't it? From there, because that is yeah. child abuse. However, I'm here now, right? And I think I wouldn't be the person I am if I hadn't grown up in that family and got those canings and all that stuff. Many people are gonna say, no, yeah. you have yeah. syndrome and stuff like that, and you're just trying to normalize abuse. But is it, it's, I think it's much better to still be with your family I don't know. It's, it's, it's a difficult. I think it's a difficult one because I think we live in a culture whereby corporal punishment is no longer it's unacceptable. You know, it's, it's unacceptable. There's a red line. <laughs> but I think I think I was I was a crazy kid. Like I did really stupid things when I was growing up. <laughs> That's probably you. you know, like I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I think it's a tough one. You know. You know what, Katai, I spent a lot of time blaming my parents. I spent a lot of time blaming my dad. I spent a lot of time saying that, why why, why did he have to punish us like that? Or why did he have to do that to my sisters? Or why did, why did all of this have to happen to me? Um, and I've come to realize that, you know what, it's challenging. It's very challenging for people who have grown up in a different country to come to another country, right, and forget all of the stuff that they have learned in that first country and then now be expected to adopt to a new lifestyle automatically overnight without any training or advice. You understand what I'm saying? Think of this. 
you come from Africa, you've spent all of your life in Africa, you live in Africa, You're, you, you have African principles, yeah? Then you up and leave and take your family to the UK. Remember, this is, bef- this is pre-internet. This is pre, this is, <laughs> this is 1986. I was born in 1986, four years later, 1990. That's when we're in the UK, right? This is a totally different UK to what it is now. If you think racism was, if you think racism is bad now in the UK, what about 1990, right? If you think that um, government organisations or government departments were helping people equally in the UK back in those days, you'll be mistaken. If you think that everyone had access to information the way they do now, you know, everyone had an understanding of their rights, their responsibilities, their opportunities, yeah? and any threats that may come come to them, like we do now. Totally different. My friend, you're always on the back foot. You're always looked at as a second-class citizen. You're always being stepped on and suppressed. And I don't think that's what my parents wanted for us. Obviously, it's not what my parents wanted for us. But at the same time, they had to discipline us in the way they knew how, in a way that worked for them, in a way that they had been molded. You understand? I don't think anyone had told my dad that, hey, you can't beat your kids. I don't think anyone, you know, when you move countries, when you move from uh, Zimbabwe, uh, Zambia to the United Kingdom, did they give you a training course to say, okay, these are the laws you're probably used to, these are the laws that we do here. You can't do these things here. Or are you expected to learn them overnight by yourself? You're lucky nowadays that you can Google shit that we can't do in the UK. <laughs> or I have an understanding of all of that stuff. Was that but in 1990, you couldn't. Huh? There was a policeman. That actually was talking about saying was telling us that you, you saying that in this country you cannot carry around a stick i know some of you in your countries carrying around a stick is actually just is, is a legal thing to do but that is an assault weapon in the uk do not carry around sticks in this country i'm like this what is he talking about i never carried around a stick you know <laughs> but but you're right like, be surprised in the village yeah 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 um but you're right. It's like he wasn't warned the dangers of. I think. I think now many families from Africa, the first thing that they always they always say to each other is to say, "Look, you cannot raise your child. You cannot raise your hand to your child because they will take your children away from you." And, hmm. child is actually, actually and how 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 have they learned that? They've learned that the hard way. Hard way, yeah, yeah. By, their, by seeing, yeah, by seeing their children get taken, and then. But also, I don't think, I think it's very difficult. And, and I feel, and I, I feel for parents from diaspora, like I feel for them. I see, I see Sudanese parents here in Australia suffering with it every single day, like especially single parent households. Like how do you relate to someone who comes from a totally different world to you? Who, and who has, has no understanding of everything you talk about. 
he's maybe never been to the country that you're talking about, never eaten the food that you're talking about, never ex never spent time with the people that you're talking about. How? How can you relate to that? How can you relate to someone who's never met your father? You understand? When your dad tells you about stories about his dad, then you can be like, and you've met that person, you can be like, oh yeah, I could see how to do that. Oh, basically, that granddad told me a different story. And he said that you did this, this, and this, you know? You can never cross-reference your aunties, your uncles, your cousins. If you've never, if you've never met these people, they just become names. And what's a name? It's not relationship. Someone comes on the phone and says, hi, I'm your auntie. Like, mate, get off the phone. Like, I don't know you. Does that make sense? You become very detached to this. It's almost an imaginary life because you've had no association with it. All you think of is this is this is what your parents, this is what your parents left behind. This has got nothing to do with me. This is where I live here. This is what I know. UK is what I know. This Uganda stuff, it's all imaginary. It's all a figment of your imagination until you experience it. And the funny thing is I did. I got to experience it, but I got to experience it in I think one of the most traumatic ways. But I guess that's a story for another day. How, because I think you, you did spend time, but how did you end up in your back in your gun? So the Uganda story is a bit traumatic and um, it, it all starts from a point, I think I'm around 16, 17 years of age and I am not going to college. I've recently got myself a, a, a full-time job and I'm about to start the job. I think I had organized them to take two weeks leave because my mum had said, hey, there's this wedding that we need to go to in Uganda. It's one of your cousins, she's getting married. Um, I'd never been to Uganda before. I'd never met this cousin before. And you know, I, I, I didn't know anything, but I was trusting my mum. And she was like, look, this is two weeks get out of the UK, see something different, have a break, you know, come back with a different perspective. And mind you, like the person, the person you're talking to and you can hear at the moment is someone who can speak at least with, um, without saying in it or yeah, mate, or, you know, every two seconds, I, I can string along my sentence. Back then I was a totally different person. My attitude was totally different. I didn't, I didn't want to do, I was, yeah, if you know what a roadman is, I was very close. I was closer to a roadman than a Ugandan, you get what I'm saying? I was just, I wasn't adding value to my community. Anyway, so this holiday, mum books a holiday, two weeks, supposed to go for a wedding. We fly over there to Uganda, Maine. Oof, most beautiful place I've ever been to in my whole life. Blue skies red soil food is nice mm. mangoes pineapples fene i don't know if you eat fene in zambia but fene is like jackfruit yo that is my favorite fruit ever chapatis beans cassava 
all of the foods that we used to eat at home, I'm eating them fresh, they're abundant. But guess what? Guess what's more warming than that? Everyone around me looks like me. No longer do I stand out of the crowd. No longer am I that you know, token black guy. Bro, I couldn't see a white person for, for days. I looked down the road, trying to look for a white person, couldn't find one. I, I felt, I felt I could blend in. Obviously, as soon as I opened my mouth, that was a different story because the people would know. But in terms of looks, you know, moving along. So we go to this, we go to this uh, wedding. I meet cousins, uncles, aunties, people I've never met before. Um, good wedding. Met my cousin Judith, beautiful lady. Um, and all of her uh, sisters and brothers, such nice people. Um, and I have a great time. I'm like, wow. So this is what it's like to be in a family. Because up until now, I felt like I was on my own, right? Um, just one guy going through life, <sighs> trying to make it happen, you know? Anyway, supposed to be in UG for two weeks. Uh, in the last week, I started to see my mum doing mad ones, you know? Started to, instead of me and her going everywhere together, she would leave me in the shop. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Anyway, there's this trunk that appears one day. Like, when I mean trunk, it's like a metallic case. Now, one day, it just has toilet paper in it. Next day, some ruled, ruled line paper gets put in there. Next day, I see a bag of sugar get put in there. After that, I see bar soap, like two sticks of bar soap go in there. Uh, other day, I see, you know, uh, tinned milk, um, peanut butter. I'm seeing all these random items get put into this metallic case. Anyway, on the Sunday, the day before we're supposed to fly back to the UK, that, that metallic case gets put in the back of a four by four. And my mum says, hey, sit in the front seat, we're gonna go for a drive. I'm like, front seat, drive, where are we going? Mum sits in the back, driver drives us. We drive two and a half K into a town called Morcono. Never been this way before, man. Every time we've been driving another way, I know my heart, I know my way back because I'm always out in the window looking up. But this way is different, man. This is far. We're going into the bush, like, I've never, what, what is going on? We get to these big gates, big black gates. The backdrop is just rainforest, right? I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Anyway, on the side of it, it says Saroma Christian High School. Christian High School, <laughs> You never guess what, Katai. We drive into the high school, gates close. We walk into reception. The, <laughs> the lady at reception um, sits us down for a second and the headmistress calls us in and she's like, ah, Aaron, nice to meet you. Ready for you. <laughs> you. Yeah, nice to finally meet you. I'm like, what are you talking about? Anyway, she's like, yeah, your mum has enrolled you for um, S4, uh, S5 and S6, which is, like A-levels, uh, year 11, year 12. Um, and all you need to do now is pick a combination. I'm like, combination? What the, 
what's a combination? So combination is the, the combination of subjects that you want to study. You can do anything. You can do arts. You can do sciences. You know, here are the combinations. I was seeing history, economics, geography, um, biology, maths, uh, physics. I was like, I was totally confused, man. This was too much for me to take all in one day. But anyway, before I could make a choice, my mum left. She got back in that four by four left and I was left I was left in the bush mate in this Saroma Christian high school I had to pick a combination and I, I was doing I was guess I was doing my edibles no one consulted me no one told me what what was going to happen next I was just dropped in the bush and said there you go good luck but have you found out the reason why they did that? Yeah, they said that that, that that was the only option that was left to them. They said that that was the only way they could see for me to actually um, fulfill my potential. That was all, all of all other tactics or all other notions that they had had failed. So that was the last thing. That was the last kicks of a dying horse. That's what they say. Katayan, let me tell you something. It was the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced in my life. If I told you that I didn't speak for six months, would you believe me? I didn't say nothing. Nothing. Not to my teachers, not to, my, not to the pupils who were there. Nothing. I was in shock. Didn't say a word. I'm in boarding school, remember this, man. I'm with, I'm, I'm, you're, you're not only, it's not like a day school where you can go home, you know, spend time with your aunties, uncles, wherever your relatives are. You're staying with strangers. Yeah. Absolute strangers. Mm. People never call me Aaron, they call me London. Hey, London, <laughs> London. <laughs> Who the fuck is London? You understand what I'm saying? If it wasn't London, it was England. England. Mate, I had someone steal money off me in secondary school. We used to live it, we, we used to sleep in these bunk beds, right? Um, and there's like three to a bunk bed. I slept on top of this bunk bed. And I had my money in my I had money in my in my shorts, man. I slept with shorts on. And in my short pocket, I had a zip on it. I had money in there. Right? I don't know how this person stole the money from my pocket, bro. Mm -hmm. In my shorts. But they managed to steal. Like I Uganda's what taught me that someone you can lock a padlock on your on your trunk, yeah. on your case, and someone will come with a piece of wire. <laughs> universal, <laughs> universal, universal, universal key, mate, and pick your lock. <laughs> and the thing you thought that you had left there, it's gone. I, I think something they told me, yeah, something you told me about 
was that you liked you liked smoking the greens. And then when you go to Uganda, it's sort of like all over the place. <laughs> yeah, in the UK, I smoked, I, sm I smoked a lot of green when I was growing up. Like, again, that was something to do. Um, it was also the, the friends I had at the time. Um, it was cool back in those days, you know, spent a lot of time just smoking weed, hey, trying to get away from the reality. But one thing you realize about that stuff is it's a, it's a short-term fix for a long-term problem. And you're constantly chasing that that high of not, of not feeling anything. Yeah. Uganda was abundant. But in Uganda, it was everywhere. Man, everywhere. And it was cheaper than it was in the UK. <laughs> That's, yeah. that's the funny thing. So if that was their whole point of moving me there, I went from disgusty to <laughs> abundance in terms of um, <laughs> supply. But the funny thing is, when I was in Uganda, I didn't want to smoke weed. And I don't know what that was. Actually, I'll tell you what that was. It's because after my, after my six months of not speaking, every three months, I believe, you go home you spent three months at your school, right? And then you have a month off. That's how boarding school works. Three months of school, month off. Three months of school, month off. And then I think it was two months for Christmas or summer holidays. So I got home and I was living with my auntie and my uncle. And my uncle was on my father's side. Uh, and they had their, their children. And they had two children at a time, but they were also looking after another two children, um, another two relatives, children of theirs. Like Rachel Rodney, if you listen to this, love you. Um, and the best thing about living with those guys is the fact that it was a family. You know, every time, every time I went home, they were all in boarding schools, right? So everyone was out suffering just like me, you know, hustling just like me at school. And then you'll come back home um, for holidays and you'd have these conversations about how school was. But then after those short conversations, because no one really wants to talk about school and no one really wants to do their homework, you would just be, you'd, there would be the challenges of home, you know, living with people at home siblings you're almost like siblings although we weren't siblings we were cousins but it's like i call it cousin rivalry right like fighting over their remote control um who's doing chores um who trying to trying to you know mobile phones were a big thing back then trying, trying to get uh call credit for your mobile phones you can send messages etc to all your friends and that meet up with people in town um just generally trying to have fun as much fun as possible and read as little as possible because obviously your your parents your 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 relatives like people in my custody um were like mate you need to study you know you're here to study 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 and thing I wanted to do but, but, but that, that that experience I say is that finally you're back in a in in a family and it's like it was such such good fun it, 
compare that fund to the type of fund that you're having in the UK, what are the differences? Um, it's totally different. Like, I'll tell you something, and I, th I think we all know it now, um, having grown up, it's the fact that isolation kills. Like, if you're on your own, you will die. Um, if it's, and COVID, COVID has shown us that. Not die as in you will lack what to eat, but I mean, your mental health will deteriorate faster if you're on your own than if you're with other people. The collective, if you're with collective people who are like-minded and want the best for you, then you will flourish in that environment. I was in the, I told you, when my sisters left, our home became a house. When my dad was upstairs, I was downstairs. When he came downstairs, I went upstairs. I was constantly trying to avoid the person who caused my pain, who was the epitome of my pain. But in, in Eugene, with all my cousins, it was amazing. For instance, at Christmas, everyone has this tradition of going back to the village. Now, the beautiful thing about this is that if everyone goes back to the village, all of your cousins, now, not just the auntie and uncle that you live with, but also their, their brothers and their sisters come with their children back. Now it's the whole family is back in the village. Now you have a football team to play with instead of just three or four siblings. And I was like, wow. So when my parents were talking about, here's your cousin, here's your auntie, here's your brother, here's your sister, and I couldn't relate, I couldn't see it, I couldn't understand it, I didn't understand the family tree, it's because I've never met them. And then once I started to see them on both sides, father's side and mother's side, I was amazed. I was like, far out. And this is the thing that we miss out when we live in diaspora, is that there's a whole nother side of us on the other side of the road. Yes, we, we live in the UK and we have our immediate family there, but there's more to us than just our immediate family. So now I'm going to ask you a series of questions just as we close off um, and you can answer them. What advice would you give your younger self? Um, I would ask my younger self to go to Uganda at a younger age. What is the one thing you want people to take from the interview? Um, one thing I'd like people to take from the interview is that family is important. Um, family is so important, not only, and it's not only about your parents or your siblings, but it's also about the whole family tree. Um, and if you have an opportunity to meet everyone in your family, do it. And if you have an opportunity to get everyone in your family together for a function or a, an event, do it. Because one, you'll be surprised who you meet and two, you'll be surprised what you learn. What are you not good at? Uh, what am I not good at? That's a very good question. Um, 
I'm not patient. I have problems with patience. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that's my biggest problem and I'm working on it. What are you really good at? Really good at. I think I am really good at motivating people. So tell me something true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Oh, something that you believe. Nobody. Something you believe that nobody agrees with you. Agrees with you. Um, that's a question I don't, I don't know what that is. Um, that nobody agrees with me. Or you mean my my family or close friends? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I've explored this idea with many people. But I, I believe farming is the future. But it's not going to be the farming as we know it. And I believe. I believe we're gonna we're going to consume a lot more insects than we do right now and um, in some countries they already do however it, it will take over the western world it will take over every every single country um, and we will insects will be a large part of how not only we sustain ourselves but also how we create fertilizers and how we um, how we grow how we cultivate uh, chickens, fish, uh, pork or pigs in the future through protein from insects. So fly farming. I don't think people respect fly farming enough and it's going to be the revolution of the of now and the, and the near future. Mm -hmm. And finally, Aaron, to wrap this up, um, what are the two best books that you recommend to the listeners? Two of the best books that have what? That have influenced my life? Yeah, or that you've read, that you... Um, I'd say the first one would be The Good Book. The good book is important. Everyone needs to read the Bible. Um, well, no one needs to read it, but there are principles in there that you will learn um, and that apply to everyone, everyone's life. And that can be applied no matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing. There's some beautiful stories in there. There's some great pieces of wisdom. The next book, I think that changed uh, a lot of my thinking was Rich Dad Poor Dad, uh, the idea that you can have two different dads teach you two different things. And one of them wasn't really his dad, but he, you, know, you can be mentored by whoever you choose to be mentored by. So the question is, choose your mentor wisely and, and yeah, achieve your dreams. Thanks, Aaron. Um, that's a wrap. That was quite an interesting uh, trip down memory lane. Um, 
and thank you for your time. It was the long-awaited um, episode with Mr. Aaron. All right.